11, Hebrews chapter 11. This is known as a great faith chapter in the Bible. I love this chapter, not just for the great exploits that many men and women have accomplished in ages past and even in this generation. I love it because it tells the story of people who never saw the reality of their faith realized in their generation, but they never gave up hope. They never, they never gave up hope. That's why I love this chapter. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1 says, Now faith, now faith. Everyone say, now faith. Now faith. This is what faith is. This is how faith looks. This is how faith works in the life of the person who is a Christ follower. Now faith is confidence. Everyone say confidence. Confidence in what we hope for. Everyone say hope for in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Father, I thank you this morning for your great grace that's here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you filled us with a sense of anticipation, a sense of expectation, Lord, that you are the God who is at work in our hearts and lives. And we thank you this morning for this wonderful gift called grace that's drawn us to the cross, that's allowed us to receive mercies new every morning. We thank you this morning that, Lord, it's not based on who we are or what we've done, but it's simply your great grace today. And we put our hope in you. Now again, Lord, I pray for every person that they'll have a spiritual ear to hear. Not just my voice, but to hear your voice. God, I need you one more time to use me. Give me clarity of thought when the words that I speak would not just be my words, they would turn into your words, into the hearts and the ears of those who hear. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Keeping hope alive. Years ago, there was a presidential campaign for a famous politician in our land entitled, Keep Hope Alive. Keep Hope Alive. Sometimes hope, though, is a hope that's not based in reality. You see, the world has a hope, but it will say something like this. I hope it happens. I hope I get a job. I I, I hope my marriage will get fixed. I, I hope my future will look different than my past. But the hope isn't based on a confidence or an assurance in a God who can make the impossible possible. It's based really on a doubt. I hope it's going to happen. It's not a statement of faith that it's going to happen. It's really a statement of doubt. I kind of hope. I have this hope, but my hope doesn't have an identity. And I want you to know today, the hope that we have as believers has an identity. The hope that we have as believers today is a byproduct of firmly holding on to our faith and love for the promises of God. Our faith, our faith, Our faith is a result of us firmly holding on to the promises of God. That's what it's based upon. Uh, We had, my wife and I were married in August of 1987. 1987. In 1987, you know, we had, the reason you get married is because you have a hope for a preferred future. Amen? Come on. The reason you have get married. And and we we obviously wanted kids and we were young, fairly young and, and, uh, we had our first son just kind of as planned. We were ready. We got started and kind of had it planned out. And Austin came and we were just rejoicing. Your firstborn son. I mean, what an incredible moment. And, you know, and, and for dads, I mean, I want kids. But it wasn't like 
I didn't have a goal. I know I have some friends, you know, they want like five kids or ten kids. I got a friend of mine that's got like twelve kids, and I'm like, wow. I mean, and like he planned that. You know, like, wow. <laughs> Amazing. But it wasn't, you know, wasn't in my heart to do that. And after about two, three years, my wife really wanted to have another child, and she was in her thirties at that time, and and she wasn't able to conceive. It was really a challenge for her. And so we were pastoring and ministering. She was working as a, a sales manager and, and an advertising company. And, and I had finished school and we had started a church and the church was really growing. And I mean, so many things were happening. My life was running a thousand miles an hour. I wasn't focused on another child. And I would see my wife and I mean, it would just tear her up. I mean, she would cry and she was so badly wanted another child. And, and things kind of turned, took a turn in the church that we were pastoring and the other couple that we were working with, our relationship kind of crumbled, and, and we ended up leaving that 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 season, that that local church. And I found myself in a, a period of not knowing what to do. I mean, I'd finished Bible college, I, I had a degree, and we'd already started a church, and God had been very faithful to us. And but I had no no idea what my next step was. I knew that I was called to plant churches, but I didn't know. I just didn't know when, and it just didn't seem like the right timing. And I wanted to start another church in Seattle, but it just the timing wasn't right. And so we just began to seek the Lord. I could tell you that it's the time between when you have your little test or your trial, and the time that the dream, the next step of your life becomes a reality, is the test. It's just a test. Everyone say it's just a test. And what you do in the test determines your future reality. What you do in that season and the time determines your future reality. And it was during this time my wife really, really wanted a child. And so for 11 months, we were involved. We just went to a local church. We weren't pastors. I mean, I, I went to, they had a Saturday night prayer meeting. I went, nobody had told me I had to go. I just went to Saturday night prayer because I love to pray. I love to seek God. I went to Saturday night prayer. We, we taught, my wife and I taught the fifth and sixth grade Sunday school class because we're servants. I mean, if I wasn't doing this today at this church, I'd just be serving in a local church. Because it's the only way you ever truly experience abundant life. I mean, I love it when people sit in a seat and it's awesome. But it's not until you start to give back that you start to receive God's grace. It's just the way it works. It's kingdom. It's better to give than to receive. And we were serving and it was in that season that God spoke to my heart. Spoke to my heart that we were going to have another child. But it wouldn't happen until that season was done. My wife... We tried everything. We went to the infertility doctors. We did all these different things. And she had a hope and a preferred future of another child, but it was deferred. And her heart was sick. I mean, it grieved her heart. She would cry. And, and I, I just kept my heart and spirit knowing that the time wasn't right. And I remember one night I was laying in bed and God just spoke to me, your season is just about ready. Your season is just about ready. And it was just in a few short weeks, after 11 months of just working, I remodeled the house that we were living in, and which became a great investment. I didn't just sit on the couch and watch television and watch the world go by, hoping that something was going to drop in my lap. I've never lived like that. That's a silly way to live. That's a foolish way to live. It's not a wise way to live. And I was working. I mean, I re- completely remodeled our house, put a sports court in the backyard, and remodeled the basement, and made an in-law. I mean, we just did all kinds of stuff. It was in that season that God spoke to my heart that we were going to have another child. And I told my wife, I said, when this season ends, you will immediately get pregnant. And it was the way that that season ended is that the church that we were serving in, as fifth and sixth grade teachers, they they came and they asked me to be the executive pastor of that church. And at that moment, I knew that my wife was going to conceive. I remember laying hands. She's got a little different version. You know, she's got a little different version. This is my version. (laughs) And since I got the microphone, I can tell my version. (laughs) 
And I laid my hands on my wife. And I remember praying. There were some other things that happened. God confirmed it was just a really cool season. But really, it was that one season ended. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It makes the heart sick. But when the hope becomes a reality, it produces the tree of life. It produces the tree of life. We have a 17-year-old son that's going to be playing the keyboards, part of the worship team. And we just went down to the Miami trip, and he's been a blessing, and he's been life into our family. And he will be for the next generation. He's going to be a great preacher. He's going to be a great pastor. He loves God. He's so smart. It makes me scared. And he's so gifted in the kingdom, way more gifted than his father ever was, ever is, and ever will be. But how do we keep hope alive? First thing I want to talk to you about is, first thing I want to talk to you about this morning and keeping hope alive in our heart is that you got to keep your heart filled with a picture of a preferred future. You got to keep your heart filled with a picture of a preferred future. I, I love Jeremiah. Jeremiah talks about this preferred future. And, but this, one of the great stories in the Bible of a man who had a preferred future is named Abraham. Abraham, if you turn to Romans with me, Romans chapter 4, I want you to see a man who had a vision of a preferred future in his life. At the age of 75, Abraham got a word from God that he was going to have a son. Abraham had grown up in, a, in, a, in an area of the world where people weren't worshippers of God. It was in the very beginning of human history and people had gone far from God. They'd been scattered at the, at the Tower of Babel, got it confused in languages and people begin to worship idols and begin to make gods in their own image. And, and he, in Genesis chapter 12, it says that God came to this one man by the name of Abram. Abram is special, but Abram also represents you and I. Abraham represents you and I because God came to Abram. At, at the age of 75, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that God came to Abram and said, I will bless you. Say, I will bless me. Oh, come on. I will bless you and make you a great nation. And you will be, not, not only will you be a great nation, but you will be a blessing to the nations. And those who curse you will be cursed. And those who bless you will be blessed. And God said in the very beginning of his life, I'm going to bless you. Abraham was married. He was 75. His wife was 66. He's already up in age. And God tells him that he's going to have a son. That word, I don't know how it came to Abram. The Bible doesn't tell us, but he knew that he knew that he knew that he was going to have a child. He knew that. He just knew that. He knew that by the Spirit. God communicated to him, just like God speaks to your heart. You're a child of God today. You're a person of faith. God will speak to you. It's not so much that we have to ask God to speak, because He's always speaking. We just ask God to unclog our ears. Because most of us are so distracted and so focused on other things and so mixed up in what we believe and what we know that it's hard for us to zone in and just take time to listen to God. But God told Abram He'd believe Him. Uh, he, would, he would bless Him. And in Romans chapter 4, I want you to look at this verse number 17. The Bible says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our Father in the sight of God and whom He believed. He is our Father. I mean, in the Bible... In the Scriptures, Abram is the first man who really believed that God existed and was who He said He was, and He would do what He said He would do. He became the father of all faith. He became the father of all faith. In the Jewish culture, even to this day, Abraham is revered as the father of faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all pointed to the coming Messiah, Jesus. 
And Abraham against impossibilities. I want you to see this. He, in the, he is our father in the sight of God. And whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead. Listen. The God who gives life to the dead. And calls into being those things that were not. What does God do? God is God. And he calls into being, into existence. Those things that are not as though they were the King James says. Things that were not, God made. God spoke and light came into existence. God spoke and creation came into existence. God spoke and all the kingdoms and the things of the world and the planetary systems came into existence. But when He made man, He stopped and He reached down to earth and He formed him in His very own image. Come on. He made you in His very own image. God who made things as though they were not, He made them possible. Then I want you to see the next verse. Against all hope, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was a hundred years old. Hear this. 75, God says, oh, you got to go, it's the first point. We'll get to this one in just a moment. <laughs> Go back to the first one on heart. You're going you're to help fill in the answers too quick here. Abraham, in his heart, he believed in a preferred future that God had for him. Here's the deal. He's told at the age of 75 and at the age of 100, it's still, or 99, it still hadn't come to pass. 25 years. 25 years. That's a long time. You see, but Abraham believed that a God that was able to make the impossible possible. And how did he do that? He had to keep the picture of a preferred future in his heart. He had to keep the future in front of him. Not full of negativity, not full of unbelief, not full of doubt, not full of questioning and wondering, not full of backsliding and turning to the left and the right. Although he had a few bumps along the way. And the reason I love the Bible is because it just tells the story the way it is. This guy wasn't perfect. There was only one perfect man. Abraham lived as a type of Christ to point us to Jesus. But when we look at his life, we see a man who kept his heart full of faith kept his heart full of faith how do you do that how do you keep your heart full of faith well you got to keep looking into your future and not in your past listen so many times we want to look at our past and our past although it can have a great determination on our future if we let our past dictate our future we'll probably derail we'll probably derail because god has a way of not doing things the same way that he did in our past as he will in our future it's just God works differently in different seasons. And Abraham kept looking to the future with a sense of hope. He kept hope in his heart. You see, true hope, true hope this morning has this understanding that God wants to bless you. Hear me today. True hope this morning has this confidence that God wants to bless me. It isn't just for someone else. It isn't just for my neighbor. It isn't just for my friend. God wants to bless me. He created me to be a worshiper. He created me to be His friend. He created me to be His sheep. He created me. And God wants you to believe that He has your best in mind. The best in your life is yet to come. God has come to bless you. 
And Abraham believed that. Abraham heard those words ring in his ear. I have come to bless you and to make you a great nation. And the second thing that Abraham believed is that he had a personal relationship with God. In Genesis 12, verse 6 and 7, it says that Abraham, when God told him that, he built an altar, and then it says, and he began to worship God. He began to worship God. He began to worship God. And that's what relationship is. Relationship with God is about making Him the number one priority. Jesus said it like this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a love of God. And love of God is always expressed in our worship. And our worship reflects all the way down into the way that we work with our hands and the way that we work with our minds and what we do in our jobs. It affects every part of our life. Abraham kept this future in front of him that God loved and wanted to bless him. He had this relationship with God. It gave him a confidence. It gave him a confidence of a preferred future. You see, in our life, in our life, you might have or you might know someone that's laid something in front of you and said, if, if you do this, I'll do this. In 1981, there was a man by the name of Eugene Lang. He was a Jewish man from New York City. He was a very wealthy philanthropist. And, and one day he, w- he went to Harlem. And, and there in Harlem, he, he stood before a class of 59 sixth graders. He stood before a class of 59 sixth graders who, were, who grew up in the poorest neighborhood in Harlem. And he, he had a little prepared speech. He was going to challenge about the future. And something inside him said, just tear up the speech. And while he was talking, he began to cast a dream for them about a preferred future. And Eugene Lake began to tell them about, listen, if you commit the rest of your school year to finishing high school, if you commit from now to the end of your school career to finishing high school, I will pay your way to college. I will pay your way to college. That was in 1981. 1981, 90% of those kids took that challenge. 90, 90% of the kids in that class took that challenge and they actually finished high school. And he paid for them, to all 90% of them, to go to college. From 1981, he's still alive today, from 1981 to the year 2002, he has given $150 million to children from disadvantaged communities and neighborhoods, casting out a dream and a vision of a perfect virtue. See, he gave them hope. You can live 40 days without food or water. Jesus did it. Elijah did it. Moses did it. But you can only live five minutes without hope. You can only live five minutes without hope. And Jeremiah, he got this into his spirit when the children of Israel were in captivity and it wasn't making any sense. And, and God had given them all these negative words and bad words because they were making bad choices about the way that they were living. And that God in the middle that comes to them and says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope. See, in the midst of whatever you're going through right now, God is speaking. God is speaking a preferred future for your life. But you've got to keep it in your heart. You've got to keep it in your heart. The second thing I want you to see this morning about keeping hope alive is that you have to really be open to the Holy Spirit doing things different in your life than what you planned. You've got to be open. Because God says in Isaiah 55, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. In Acts chapter 16, it's one of the great, great stories in the Bible of, of God actually just telling somebody no. 
I mean, and it's a kingdom guy. This isn't just, you know, some guy out there just living life. I mean, this is Paul the Apostle, the guy that writes two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, here's a man who's educated, studied, and steeped in Judaism, has an encounter with Jesus. He's the most zealous of Jews. and He has this encounter with Jesus, and now he becomes a Christ follower, and he shakes his whole community and world, and, and immediately he starts preaching the gospel, and people get converted, and lives change, and hearts renewed, and I mean, miracles, and supernatural wonders and people are getting just blasted by this message and everywhere he goes there's either a revolution or a riot everywhere paul goes there's a revolution or a riot i mean either people want to stone the guy they want to kill the guy or they're surrendering and giving their life to jesus right I mean, and, and it's so amazing. You read some of the stories. I mean, they think this guy's a god because he, man, he got, this guy really operates in a level of faith. Paul's like, no, 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 there's only one Jesus, and I'm sure not he. And he's always telling a story what God did and how he saved him. He was a wretch and all that kind of stuff. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul had a desire to go to a certain area. And it says, and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word. And actually, in the verse number seven, he went to, he tried to turn to go to another area to preach the gospel. And guess what? God forbid him to go to that area. Two times, God told him, no. Now, here's the deal. Just because, here's the principle. Just because you get a good idea doesn't mean it's a God idea. I mean, people say, oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move my, fa- oh, I hear this. I'm going to move my family. I'm going to go do this. And it's a good idea, but it isn't necessarily a, God idea. It was a good idea for me to start City Church. It was a good idea. Isn't that right? Come on. Some of you have been saved here. Some of your families have been ministered to here. Some of your kids have been touched in the in the high school ministry. In the children. It was a good idea for my wife and I to start this church. I just had the timing wrong. I wanted to start it in the early 90s and God wanted me to start in 1999. See, good ideas aren't necessarily a God idea in the right time. So you can have a good idea, but you got to hear God. Because see, when God told Paul twice, and sometimes, I don't know about you, God's got to speak to me, and He almost always does, speaks to me, you know, through the Word, through the Holy Spirit, and then through my wife. Our husband said, Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. <laughs> I mean, all the time, speaking to my wife, I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit clearly when it comes through my wife. It's a prophetic word. And God says, No. Because a good idea isn't a God idea. God has an idea for your life. This is all about surrender. This is all about being open to what God wants to do. Being open to the Holy Spirit. You have a relationship with God. You have a a personal relationship with Him. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. If you don't know God today, before you leave here, you can. You can give your life to Him. It's it's a moment. It's a touch. it's 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 a reality that all of a sudden your heart opens up and says, God, come into my life. Change my heart. The Bible uses the word repentance. It just means you begin to change the way that you think about who you are, but ultimately about who God is. Who He is and what He wants to do in your life. To bring forgiveness and hope and cleansing through Christ's blood. So we've got to keep open. Got to keep open. You've got to keep open to God's plans because God's plans are different than your plans. If you are going to have a hope and a preferred future, it can't just be your future. Because it ain't just about you. Say, it ain't about me. This thing, come on. It ain't about me. In American culture, it's all about me. This whole debate right now about gay marriage and all that, we're not going to go there this morning, but it's, it, it ain't all about me. God has a will and a plan and a design. Right. He spelled it out Amen. in the very beginning of mankind. He created them male and 
female and God spoke it and God spoke through his word design and destiny and plans and ways of man are not the ways of God and every time I tell you what I don't care what the world thinks I'm going to fall in the ways of God every time because those have been working for a whole long 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 time and they work way better than the ways of men they work way better than the ways of men so you got to stay open to what God wants to do in your life the third thing that has to happen is you got to persevere you got to persevere there's got to be perseverance in your life you're open to the Holy Spirit, to His leading, to His direction, to His guidance. You've got to understand that God rewards those who persevere and hold on to His promises. Look at verse 18 of Romans chapter 4. Against all hope, Abraham believed. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. <laughs> That's even better. In hope he believed. I have a hope. And my hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Against all hope. Abraham and hope believed in a preferred future. And God has spoke about his life. Persevering in the promises. Holding on to the promises. You see, from the time of Abraham's promise that he would be a father to the time that destiny became a reality was 25 years. Everyone say long time. You know what I call that? I call that the mean time. And what are you going to do in the meantime? What are you going to do? How are you going to act? How are you going to respond? How are you going to talk? Because it really is that meantime from the time that the dream and the desire is birthed in your heart to the time that God brings fulfillment. Sometimes it moves quickly. Sometimes it just happens fast. I mean, when we, when it, when we decided that it was God's timing and we felt agreement, the church that we were at in Seattle felt agreement and they sent us out for the time that we, that we did that and started this church, it was quick. It happened fast. I mean, things happened quick. It was wait, 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 wait. And then when God says go, he's in a hurry. <laughs> I mean, he's like, wait, 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 wait. They that wait upon the Lord, he shall renew the street. Like, okay, God, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, wait. And if you're not waiting on God for something in your life, you don't have a big enough dream about your future. Come on. If you're not waiting on God to do something in your life right now, there's not a big enough dream and a desire in your heart for kingdom purposes and plans. And you got to persevere today. This thing perseveres. We don't like the sacrifice. We don't. We, we, we want it now. We want. We want immediate gratification. We, we want to whip out the credit. We can't afford to pay for it. We want to whip out the credit card, and pay it. We want to eat tomorrow's fruit. We haven't even planted the seed in the ground today. We want to spend tomorrow's labor. We don't even work today. And and God said, God's got a better way. There's this principle in the kingdom called perseverance. Persevering. The word perseverance says. Hupamuno. Every I want to say Hupamuno, and the word Hupamuno is very interesting because actually the understanding of the word uh, perseverance means it is coming under with an expected hope. That's literally what the word Hupamuno means. And when we translate it into the English, we translate it into persevere. But to persevere literally means to come under with the hope or an expectation of something preferred, something that only God can do. So we come under. We, we keep hope alive by, by realizing and recognizing that, listen, there's a meantime principle. There's a, what do we do in the meantime? My wife and I, we started, uh, it was called Seattle Tabernacle. That was the name of the church. It was the inner city of Seattle. We started with another couple in 1989. And out of the get-go, there was a young woman that came to work with us. Her name was Melinda Bowley. 
Linda Bully was just a really dynamo lady. Actually, the church that we had attended in Seattle uh, before we started the church, she um, she was at that church, and she was really vivacious. I mean, she was really, really, really vivacious. But there were some things, I don't know, people didn't like about her or whatever. And, and then he wanted her on the worship team. And she came down, and we started this church. She was one of the very first members of this church that we started. And this lady, Linda, was amazing. She was amazing. She was totally dedicated to the cause. She was out there driving, you know, riding the buses with us and knocking on doors and picking up kids and feeding the homeless. And I mean, she does all these things. And she had this strong desire that she wanted to get married. I mean, she really wanted to get married. And, and it just didn't look like it was going to happen. About a year ago, I get a phone call. And I had, you know, I talked to Melinda over the years. And I mean, and she stayed in the inner city for years. And she ended up actually in full-time ministry in Houston. For She's still in full-time ministry in Houston. And she's just been an incredible lady. She speaks at women's conferences. And, and about a year ago, I heard that she was going to be on the Oprah Network. Now, you know, you know what I think about Oprah. She's, you know, Pastor Oprah, I call her. Because she's telling people how to live all the time. I'm like, whatever. But Pastor Oprah, she's going to be on Pastor Oprah's show. I'm like, no way. And you know why Melinda Bowley was going to be on Pastor Oprah's show? Because Melinda was 52 years of age and she was still a virgin. She was still a virgin and she was engaged. And she waited to have sexual relationship with a man until she got married. She was 52. And, and Oprah's friend Gail, I watched the interview. And Gail's like, I never met a woman 52 that was still a virgin. Like she couldn't believe Well, come on. And she, like, she couldn't believe it. And this lady, Virginia, uh, Melinda, she's looking right in the camera. And she just got this biggest, vivacious smile. So full of joy and confidence. She says, well, I believe in God's biblical plan for marriage. And I believe that we're supposed to wait until we get married. And, and, and they were going to get married in, in the fall. And, the, and October came, October 2011. And they had some adjustments on their schedule. And, and, and they brought her back on again. She got on Oprah's show twice. I couldn't, you know how they do like the Skype thing, you know, and they do the Skype thing with her and she's just telling Oprah, well, listen, I've waited this long and, you know, they're using all these words and I'm not going to repeat the whole thing, but, but, and she just looked right in the camera and she just had the greatest smile. I mean, she just told the story of God's love. Why would she do anything? Why would she do anything? She waited this long for the promise. Why would she wait for the fulfillment of it? Uh, and on May 23rd, 2012, Melinda Bowley walked the aisle with the man of her dreams. Come on. Come on. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire is fulfilled, it brings the tree of life. The fourth thing I want you to see is you got to expect. you got to expect today that all things are going to work together for good in your life. We sing this song, Tom, in, in the good times and the bad, I'm going to give them praise. Because that's we believe that today. It's not based, my praise isn't based on my feeling. It's not based on what I'm walking through or what I'm experiencing in this moment. My praise and worship of God is built on this expectancy. I just know. I know I've seen it now. I've got years and years and years of history of seeing God turn bad things into good things. I've, I've seen God turn things, and even when I don't understand it, because I got wise. Man, if you live long enough, you're going to have more wise and answers. Come on, if you live long enough, you're going to have a whole bunch of whys. 
There's a lot of things that are hard for us to understand. But I believe the promises of God. I hold on to the promises that Paul says are yes and amen to them that believe. Listen to me. I believe today that all things work together for good for them that love Christ and are called according to His purpose. Because listen, hear me today. For God knew His people in advance. And He chose them to become like His Son. The reason... The reason that you have the stuff, the reason that you have the trials, the reason that you have the meantime, the reason that you have to keep hope alive. You gotta keep it alive, folks. It's a fight. It's a battle. It just doesn't fall on you out of a tree. You make a choice today. Today I choose to get up and to be a worshiper. Today I choose to get up and to keep hope alive. Today I choose to get up and to fill my heart with a good thing. Today I choose to get up and to be a worshiper of God. Today I choose. Today I choose to keep my life open to the Holy Spirit's leading and direction. Today I choose to persevere in the promises of God. Because I know in whom I believed. And I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor principalities, nor heaven, or earth, or angels, or things to come shall separate me from the love of God. See, I have a hope. And my hope has a name. And His name is Jesus. See, all this, all these stories, all these things in the Old Testament, they all point to the reality of who Jesus is. See, the reason you get married is because you have a hope. The reason that you have kids is because you have a hope. The reason you go to college is because you have a hope. The reason you put money in the bank for a rainy day is because you have a hope. The reason that you start to exercise and get a makeover is because you got a hope. I mean, when you have a hope of a preferred future, the actions of your life begin to change. The actions of your life begin to change. I want you to bow your heads this morning because really this thing boils down. This thing boils down to who do you see as your hope today? The Bible says... Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of peace fill you with all hope as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our worship team is going to come at this time. And the Holy Spirit is here today to fill you with hope. The Holy Spirit is here today to fill you with hope. We're going to take communion as a church family this morning. Our communion time this morning, our communion time this morning is a, it's, it's a, it's a time of hope because we put our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. We put our hope in the person of Jesus Christ because we put our hope in Him today. We're just going to take just this moment right now and we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. When you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you thought about it, but you're, you, know, you just haven't really surrendered to Him, I want you to know today, today is the right day for you. Today God wants you to know how much He cares, how much He loves you. He loves you. He loves you today. You're here today and you've never fully surrendered your life to Christ. Before we take another step forward, before we take communion this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus. 
When I count to three, you're just going to raise your hand and we're all going to pray a prayer together. But if you're here today and you haven't fully surrendered your life to Christ, you don't have that hope and that assurance, that assurance in your heart, you know God and He knows you and where you're going to spend eternity. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. In this room, anyone right now? Anyone here today? Okay. All right, we're all 